my way, my way, my way, I'm making it clearer. I am opening my way. I am opening my way. I am opening my way. I am granting you access. Access. I am granting you access. I am granting you access. I am opening up my way. A door has been opened unto you. For I am that door. I am opening up to you. I am the door. I am the door. I am is the door. I am is the door. I am is the door and is opening up to you. He is opening up to you. I am says he is the door and he is opened up to you. I am is opened up to you. I am is opened up to you. Come in. Come in, I am says, for I am opened up to you. Access is granted to you. Access is granted to you. Come in to the door. Come in, for I am the door. I am that great shepherd. I am the door. I am the door. Walk in my way. Stay in my way. Stay in my way. Say it to them. Say it. Say it. I said say it. 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 That which I've poured in your heart and I've anointed your lips to say. Say it to them. Say it to them. Say it to them. Say it to them. For I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. The door is opened up to you. Speak it. Speak it. Say it to them. Say it to them. For I will bring healing as you speak. I will bring healing as you speak. I will bring healing as you speak. I will bring light to darkness. I will bring light to darkness. I will bring light to darkness. Speak it. Say it. For I am here with you. I've set a table for you. Say it. Feed my sheep. Says the Spirit of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's see um, Isaiah chapter 32. there say amen. amen. Isaiah 32. Uh, I read from verse 17. <clears throat> it says, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. Praise God. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. For, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Praise God. I'll, I'll read that again. It says, the, the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, praise the Lord, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceful habitation, and in sure, what? Dwellings and in quiet word, 
resting places. Praise the Lord. So, verse 17, uh, is speaking about the, the work and the effect of righteousness. Praise God. The, the work and the what? Effect of what? Of righteousness. Now, work here um, speaks about a, the product. The work means righteousness when it has, it has been accomplished. When it has accomplished what it is being given for, praise God, that the stature or the work here, you know, when you're speaking about the soul, the work in a soul is a work in terms of work that has been done, work that has been completed. The work in the soul is stature. Praise God. In a soul is what? Is a stature. So when, when someone does a work physically, you see something physical, right? That if a builder comes and does a work, the work of a carpenter is like a table, like that table. Praise God. Now when you're speaking about the soul, the work... In a soul means the formation of something that is present. That is present, that is what? Evident within the soul. So there is a work that righteousness does. And when righteousness has finished its work, that product is called peace. Praise God. So peace is actually a, it's like a, an, it's an image, it is a product. Of righteousness. Do you see that? Now, there is difference between the, the work of righteousness and the effect of righteousness. The effect of righteousness means what, after the work has been done, what, will the pres- what effect will the presence of that work bring about? Does that make sense? What effect will what? The existence, the presence of that work. So if that work has been done in a person, praise God, means that in that person there is something called peace in the soul of that individual that the person will now be able to experience something called quietness and what? Assurance forever. Now, quietness and assurance forever, that's speaking about everlasting life. Amen. So, everlasting life is the... Life that comes, his soul receives as the effect of having peace. And now this peace, of course, if you go to Romans chapter 5, let's quickly see. Romans chapter 5, from verse 1, praise the Lord. In Romans 1, it says that they justified by faith that we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because justification is righteousness, right? So what he's saying here is when justification has happened, then you have what? Peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, just today, the short time we have, I want to zero in on that thing called peace. 
or peace with God. Now, peace with God is something that if you, if a soul can live their whole lifetime on the earth and not be aware that there is such a thing called peace with God that they don't have and they are oblivious to, that is not something, peace with God is not something that men are clamoring for, going around looking for. You know what I mean? Peace with God is not something that nations are, are yearning for. That most men are actually oblivious to the fact that there is something called peace, praise God, which God has designed for every soul to come into. So that's why peace is something that the, the scripture has to now begin to unveil. Before you can give peace to a, to a soul, you have to first make the person aware that they need peace or that they are not at peace. Like Jesus said, he said, my, my peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. He said, not as the world gives. Give I unto you. So it means that there is a kind of peace that the world gives to souls. And the presence of the peace which the world gives to men is the reason why men are oblivious to the fact that they are not at peace with God. Praise the Lord. The presence of peace and, and, and the world, the devil does the world such a way that the, the, the world doesn't just give you all its peace. You know, like when you are young, at a certain age, the world will just say, okay, this is your own allocation of peace. Now I'll be at peace. <laughs> and then you enjoy the peace of the world till you, till you grow up. You're not disturbed. No, that peace, praise God, is because the devil knows that there is a faculty within man that if he doesn't have peace, there will be a problem. That a man without peace will not be satisfied. There's something about the soul that seeks to have peace. For any soul who has something surrounding it, maybe a little problem, anything that tampers with the peace of a soul, it arouses the man. It arouses the strength. It arouses his faculties, intelligence. It arouses his resources. It arouses everything. Why? Because he must fight against anything that disturbs his peace. Man is built that way. The soul is built that way. The soul is built for peace. Praise the Lord. So the devil knows that that's why he, he designed the world. The world is a peace giver. Or, it's not really a peace giver. It's deceptive. The world, is a, the world carries a promise of peace. Right? When you see a, a worldly soul who is spending their energy on this earth, Seeking things in the natural, check their endeavors. Behind every endeavor of a soul, there is some sort of promise of peace at the end of it. There is a peace. Peace appears in different forms, different shapes. Why do you labor? You want to labor to save and work hard to save. Praise God. Some people can take extra shifts and... Amen. Amen. You know, you have 
all kinds of things. Insight. Needs begin to, you begin to picture all needs that need to be met. You, when, you, when you have a job, praise God, most people don't think of just, okay, you know how Jesus said it today, sufficient for the day is the, you know, just don't think of tomorrow, eat your bread. Do I have bread today? You have bread, so it's okay, no problem. No, people don't. The, once, you have a, once you have a means of, of provision, you begin to imagine all the, all the, are you getting me? You begin to imagine all the needs, not today's needs now, tomorrow's needs, next tomorrow's needs. Why? You want to extract every single thing that that provision can give you. Why? Because it's for the, you're calculating for the restlessness of the future. Why? Because you are, that, when that job comes, it's a promise. You know that employment letter, yes. When you see it. <laughs> Praise God. You know, how many of you remember the feeling of your first employment letter? The first, first one. You know, you've always been hearing it. Maybe your parents got a job and all that. The, I mean, the first letter that had your name on it. Then, with some money figure written inside it. There's something about that thing. It's a promise. And the reason why that thing, that thing can touch the soul, that there are people who, um, they don't, they, some people you don't know them until they start earning, they, they gain some independence. Eh? You know what independence means? It means that, <laughs> praise God. Independence means that, you have choice. Amen. Amen. You have what? Choice. Means you can live here or you can live there. Means that when you are moving beyond the season of necessity, because season of necessity is a time when forces beyond you are determining how you live. Because you are limited in resources. So, when you are in such a season, and a lot of times that's why the Lord raises parents to train up children, right? Because they train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he's not, it will not depart from it. So, when you are under your parents, your parents, there's something that they have around you that they can determine where you live, how many clothes you can have. Praise God. So your choice, you know, discover your choices are very little. And the reason for one of the reasons for parents is to praise God is to limit the offering of peace that the world will give a child to have a control over it. So, and how that happens is that the child doesn't carry the burden for his own life, for his own provision. Another person carries it. Now, whoever carries that burden, that's the person who talks to the world. The world will not go to, I mean, discussing with the child because the child doesn't have to pay his own rent or anything. He doesn't care. But the parent of the child, he's the one carrying all the thought about that child. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? Then when maybe you graduate and it's now time 
you now begin to feel the thing. The, the world, in that sense, of course, for many of us, the world has started dealing with us in other areas for, you know, for <laughs> earlier on. Praise God. You know, when it comes to things like your social interactions, your friends, all of that, even teenagers, there's, there's, there's a di- dimension of the world that's packaged for teenagers. Young teenagers. You see, you see a young, a young 13-year-old person with problems. Praise God. And you, you, you who is an adult, <laughs> like you are supposed to be the happiest person in the world because you have no responsibilities whatsoever, but, but those guys have more problems than many grown-up people. It's a serious thing. You've heard of teenagers committing suicide and all of that, right? Praise God. Is that in their, at their own level, there is. The world finds a way to tamper with, to have transactions with them. So for them, peace to them might be like by the time all their friends like them. Let's say even if 70% likes them, ah, there's that 30%. That's a problem. What is it about me? Why is it, is it the way I look? Is it the way I speak? Is it the way I walk? Are you getting me? Those are, those are all problems. Praise God. Amen. So, so this thing called peace is... The, the, the peace which the world gives to men is, the, is a fighter against the peace which Jesus or which you have in Christ. Praise God. Does that make sense? I think that what I was saying just now makes me remember, I think we were discussing on Wednesday about the, about the Israelites. Right? The Israelites, when they, they came out of Egypt. And in Egypt, praise God, in Egypt they were used to a certain way of life where to, it's, it's, there was an order of life, of the natural life that was working in Egypt. Praise God. Because you see, the Bible says that even when while they were doing servile work, they were being, you know, really, really mishandled and abused by the Egyptians. But they lived in the land called Goshen in, in Egypt, where the land was green. There was means of, you know, provision. Praise the Lord. They had their own families, their little tribes, and all of that. So things were working in, in Egypt. Praise the Lord. But then Moses came and brought them into the wilderness, and all of a sudden, that life which they were used to, praise God, that life which they were used to ended. And then they came into a terrain where they could not understand, the, they couldn't map out the, the relationship between their needs and means how their needs should be met. Do you see that? Praise the Lord. So what, that, that season unveiled something that was hidden in Israel. Their reaction to that situation and those circumstances. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, 
the Bible speaks about the covenant of, of life and peace. Right? We saw that in the book of Malachi. Let's quickly read that. Amen. Um, I want us to really see, maybe that's somewhere we can focus on today, that the issue of Israel and how the, this concept of peace with God was how it played out with them because that was one of the main messages in, in their own ordeal coming out of Egypt. Praise God. In Malachi chapter 2, um, let's read from Malachi 2. Let's read from verse 5. If you are there, say amen. amen. It says, my covenant was with him. That was for, of, with Levi, right? Verse 4. He says, and ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts, right? And my covenant with him was with him of life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me. And was what? Afraid before my name. Praise the Lord. And the law of truth was in his mouth. And iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from where? From iniquity. Praise God. So he had the covenant of peace. And the reason why he had his covenant of peace was because of the fear where which he did what? He feared my, my name. Amen. And if you read Deuteronomy 33, let's go there. Deuteronomy 33. Father, we thank you. Praise God. Deuteronomy 33. Um, This was when Moses was blessing the children of Israel. And verse 8, it says, And of Levi he said, Let thy Tumim and thy Urim be with thy Holy One, whom thou didst prove at Massa, and with whom thou didst strive at the what? waters of Meribah. Praise God. Who said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word and then kept thy word, thy covenant. Now, we know this episode at Mass and Mary, but that was when they came out of of um, Egypt, and they got to a place where there was no water, and they began to strive against Moses. So the reason why they began to murmur and began to fight, because normally they would not, they, would, they have a normal means. They know normal means by which they get their needs, the basics, water, food, Amen. They have a normal way, but the wilderness does something. The wilderness, the purpose of the wilderness is to render the normal means by which the normal channel, listen, the wilderness is to normal the channel by which the world stands to to control the the access to provision, resources, peace, 
to the soul. The world, Egypt is a type of the world, right? Now, the world has its way. That's one of the main purposes of the world. The world is like a spiritual organism. It's an organization that Satan uses to interface with men. And through the world, like Jesus said, like I said before, it's a peace I give with you, not like the world gives. So the world gives peace, right? And, of course, that peace, when you say peace, what peace is in a soul, when you trace it outside the soul, you trace peace to all manner of things, physical things, money, food, clothes, houses, husbands, wives, friends, relationships, anything in the natural, you can trace anything to the natural to, the, to peace and restfulness in the heart of a soul. So the world is the environment that the Satan created for souls to live in where transactions concerning the, the peace and the rest of their soul can take place. So in order for the law to interject and begin to deliver a soul from that transaction, the Lord has to bring the soul out of that environment. Means on, out of that place. It's really not possible. It's really not possible for the law to change. You know, like Jesus, Jesus was just saying, the peace I live with you and all that. But it, it, the work that it takes. Say peace is a work. Peace is a work. That's what we saw in the book of Isaiah. 32. He said the work of righteousness is peace. It means to raise a soul that has come into true peace. There are many people who are at peace, but that peace, God doesn't want it. There are many souls who are, uh, I just take things easy. I don't stress. If you check, when you check such souls, there's an anchor somewhere. There's something, there's a reason why those who are ah, problem, how do we solve this thing? Going up and who, are, who, are, who seem very, very, you know, actively engaged with, with life and disturbed. When you check such people who, on the contrary, seem at peace, but not the peace of Jesus, it's just that where they are, most of the time where their peace is coming from might be more hidden. More, a lot of times is even more dangerous than somebody who is actively looking for to solve a lot of problems. You know why? And, and I've, I've also, just preaching the word of God a little, I've discovered that. I discovered that the hardest people to reach are the people who don't have a sense of need. <laughs> there are people who, they've not met Jesus, they've not met Christ, they don't know him, but when you look at them, they have all the attributes of Guys who have labored into rest with Jesus. <laughs> there are some, the way you think about your bills, your rent, all of those, they don't even care. I mean, the rent comes, it doesn't come. They, they just live life a certain way. They're not bothered about too many things. But more for such people, the anchor of their peace is most of the time because it is sometimes more spiritual. Maybe spiritual is not the word. It's more, it is, it's rooted in somewhere deeper in their person. 
than in the externalities of their life. Praise God. You see, that, that kind of person I, I described to you, that was a type of Israel. Praise God. That was what? That was a type of Israel. That for God to really, really get to Israel, because the wilderness is a place that, um, you know, if you took an ordinary nation, let's say any other nation of the earth, not Israel, to Egypt, and you subjected them to the conditions of Egypt, I'm not sure they will be able to survive it. They will be broken. Do you understand what I'm saying? They will be what? They will be broken. There was, while Israel was in Egypt, there was an invisible power making them okay to a level. Right? In Goshen. And they were increasing. The Bible says when you go to the beginning of Exodus, the Bible says that at some point the Pharaoh who knew no Joseph came and he found a group. These guys are actually increasing so much. He became afraid of them that lest one day when a nation comes to war against us, that these guys will join them. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? So it was small. I was afraid that they would even increase beyond his own people who are enjoying in Egypt normally, who are not suffering. Are you getting what I'm saying? So it would take a special kind of place to access the comfort that the world has given to a soul. That's what the, the wilderness is designed for. So you, see, so you see that soul I described to you that doesn't seem worried about anything. When other people are worried about finances, money, children, getting married and everything, some people in the world, they don't care about such things. It's a kind of righteousness. Well, so for such soul, if you go and just take surface gospel to them, and just say, well, uh, these are the things you need to do. These are the, the characteristics of Christ, and just obey these things. They will tell you, no all these things have I done from my youth. <laughs> <laughs> like that rich young ruler. <laughs> right? He will show you even more things that you are not doing, that he is doing. <laughs> Praise God. But that person... It will take, the only thing that can make that soul, that can tamper with the rest of that soul, is you must, that soul must be subject to the kind of wilderness that the life of Christ presents. And there's, there are wildernesses, amen. There are some souls you can never get them to be perturbed about anything. Now, in fact, when you see their position, they look like Jesus. In this Western world, I've seen many guys like that. Are you getting me? Even when you're at work with them, some, some of them, that work doesn't even mean anything to them. Are you getting me? You start seeing attributes of some things that you have to really learn from Scripture and fast and pray and all that, listen to messages, you know, to get to a point where, you know, your job is just a job outside of you. It doesn't matter. If the Lord takes it, no problem. He'll provide no, that thing was a, was a great victory for some of us to get to that point. Some of us are not even there yet. Then, but at work, there are some guys who, that's just their own formation. 
what you do spiritual activity to get is as if they have it. So there's nothing you can do. You can take to them, but should I tell you something? If you want to really see how on how wretched such a soul is, you can't see it normally. Is if somehow that soul is granted mercy to come into the pastures of Christ and then let the word of Christ begin to open, you now discover that that seemingly undisturbed soul, there are things that only Christ's word knows to disturb. The, the word of Christ knows where to go in that soul. He knows what to touch. That's what, was, that's what happened to Israel. God had to raise a man called Moses to go and lead them out of Egypt. Because if you are in Egypt, you will feel you don't need God. But I want to bring you into another place. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? Now, so this um, <coughs> Levi says, Levi said, let thy tumim, and of Levi, sorry, he said, let thy tumim and thy urim be with thy holy one. That was, Levi was a, a holy tribe in Israel. Am I correct? Then he now began to explain what made Levi holy, what separated them. Or there, were, there were things that happened in this time that showed a separation between Israel, all the other tribes of Israel, and who? And the tribes of Levi. And he said that, with whom thou didst strive are the what? The waters of Meribah. Amen. Now, this strife, the people of, the people of Israel, they were striving, of course, they were striving with God. But on the side of God, one tribe was counted on God's side, which was the, the tribe of Levi. And it says that that tribe, verse 9, this, he said unto his father and his mother that I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his own brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word, and then what? Kept thy word, thy covenant. They have observed thy word, and then did what? And kept. Now, how did they observe the word. How did they observe? How did they observe the word? They observed it, I believe, they observed it from Moses. I believe so. Because Moses was, when Moses, the way Moses was leading Israel, Moses you have to picture this season. Amen. <clears throat> this season was not law season, okay? This was actually still a season of faith. In terms of, of course, not everybody walking by faith, but Moses was leading by faith. Right? Moses went into the wilderness to get a faith training. That was what he got. A training of faith. Amen. And also a training of love. Because he, he was raised a shepherd. Nobody can be a shepherd without the stature of love. Because what qualifies a shepherd is 
a love stature. A hireling can have a stature of faith. But without love, what separates a hireling from the owner of the sheep is another equipment that the owner has that the hireling doesn't have. The, the hireling has the faith for the operations of the sheep, but the shepherd has the heart for the sheep. He has the ability to lay down his own life for the sheep. The hireling has no that such ability. So the, the program, that 40 years program of Moses in the wilderness was actually a faith and love program where God raised him up to be a shepherd. God sent him to a shepherd called Jethro, right, who was a man of faith. You know, these men were all in that time. He was a priest. The Bible calls Jethro a priest in the book of Exodus. Praise God. So he was a priest, a priest shepherd who had been walking with God, who God, God sent Moses to him to go and receive the nature of a shepherd. Now, and then the Bible speaks about Moses. He called him, says he was a man who was mighty in word and in deed. So, and that's one characteristic of a shepherd. Every shepherd must be mighty in word and in deed. Praise God. So, it's very clear that Moses is might in word. Was he, was he was actually, he had embodied the word for Israel. Because Israel, no body can lead Israel without the word for the nation. Right? The way Israel is shepherded is by their word. And what is that word? That word is the details of the covenant. What covenant? The details of the covenant which God made with their father Abraham which was passed from Abraham to Isaac. We saw that, right? Those patriarchs, that they had what, what they carried, which they were passing on, was a gospel. Do you agree? Do you believe that? What they were passing on was a what? Was a gospel. That gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the details of a covenant. Right? That was what they were preaching. So the Lord has preached it to Abraham through his time with the Lord, through walking with the Lord. The Lord had preached that gospel means that Abraham knew the details of the word of Christ. And he taught that word to Isaac. Right? He taught what? That word to Isaac. Isaac then taught that word to who? To Jacob. That was passed on. From generation to generation. That was the idea of a firstborn. Praise the Lord. You know something I, I think? I think that gospel must have been taught to Jacob by Esau. I believe that would have been part of the, the transaction. Because back then, blessing, blessing is not just laying of hands. You know, the, way the, Jews, the way the Jews are, their culture, you need to understand their culture. That, I think I've said it before, that the firstborn of a man in Jewish culture is not the first child that he gives birth to. 
the, a man gives birth to children, he lets them grow. He just is watching them, he's teaching, and he's growing, and they're all growing up. Now, the one who will be who he calls his firstborn, he chooses. He's, of course, he prefers he's the first one, but not necessarily. By their culture, he cho- and that's what that, you see that ritual of laying hands. Is that, is that point when he has chosen, okay, this is my own firstborn. Then he picks the one that, will, that he will carry his blessing. That's the one he blesses. Then he brings him closer for more detailed training concerning the secret. So it's more of who embodies the culture, embodies the life. That's the concept of, of the firstborn. So it's possible that, um, because Isaac loved Esau. Right? If he loved Esau, there are things he would have taught him many things about the covenant that maybe he would not have taught Jacob. Praise God. Now, then Moses went and Moses went to receive something from Jethro. What Moses received from Jethro was the type, praise God, not, not the exact promise, of course, to Abraham, but the type or what the Bible calls the steps of the fate of Abraham. Because the steps of the fate of Abraham, amen, the same kind of step that every man who walks by faith must have. Do you agree with me? Someone like Jethro, who was a priest in the wilderness at that time, he was walking with God, even though he did not have the Abrahamic covenant, but he was walking with God. And he must have known things concerning the, the, the covenants of God or the laws of God. You have other examples, someone like Balaam, who was also a priest. Do you remember, he was a priest. He's not a Jew, he's not an Israelite. He was just one of those Gentile guys, but he was a priest too. And he was not just an ordinary priest. He was actually a priest of, of the Most High, God. So if he was a priest of the Most High, he also had access, knowledge of the same covenant. That will tell you it's not only Abraham that they preached the gospel to. Not only Abraham. Praise God. Does that make sense to you? It's not only Abraham the gospel was preached to, but what made Abraham unique was Abraham was the one that gave the promise. Yeah. Abraham was the one who? Abraham was the one that they gave who? They gave what? They gave the promise. Praise the Lord. Now, so... Here, he says that he said unto his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he know his, did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed thy word, and then kept thy word, covenant. Praise God. They have observed thy word, and they have kept thy covenant. Praise the Lord. They have observed thy word, and they have what? Kept thy covenant. So, Levi had that ability to keep what? The covenant. Now, that, this thing here is tied to, you see, not who's saying to his father, to his mother, I have not seen him, 
neither acknowledging the brethren or his own children. Those things are attributes. In fact, those are the attributes that separated Levi from the rest of the Israelites. Do you agree? You wonder, how does it mean not acknowledging your, your brethren, saying that you don't, you've not seen your father or your mother? Praise God. Nor knew his own children, even their own children. What they are saying here is that Levi had, because of the, Levi's attention to the word, they broke through something. What they broke through was a serious breakthrough. It was the anchor of unrighteousness in men. The anchor of what? The anchor of unrighteousness in men. The anchor of unrighteousness in a man is his person. Then, how, what, where is that person, where did that person come from? How was that person framed? What reinforces the person? Is this thing they mention here? Mother, father, brethren, children. So the strength that these people had to stand against Moses and speak against what God was said was because of their frame, their frame, their makeup, their person. Do you agree with that? Jesus said this, do you know? Let's see Mark, or Luke actually, let's see, I believe it's Luke. Praise God. <clears throat> Quickly, Luke chapter 14. If you're there, say amen. amen. You're there already, that's good. So I can read. Praise God. Luke chapter 14. I love Jesus. So much wisdom. (laughs) Praise God. Let's just read a little bit of what Jesus said here. Thank you, Jesus. He said, then he said unto him that bade him. Okay, that was verse 12. Okay. It says, when thou makest a dinner. That's Luke chapter 14, verse 12, right? It says, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, for thee, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made to thee. What it means is that when you are making a feast, don't call these people friends, brethren, kinsmen, and even your rich neighbors. Don't call them, because why, why shouldn't you call them? There's something that ties you. 
that if you call these guys to your feast, there's something inside you that makes those people benevolent towards you. There's a promise of benevolence in your relationship with these people. And that, and that thing is bigger than you. It's, it's, it's so strong that you don't have the strength to say, no, this feast is just for them. When they call me, I won't go. <laughs> that you don't have power to refuse their benevolence. You don't have the strength. Because you are actually hewn from them. When you say you, <laughs> those people are you. If I want to say you now, I want to ask, who are you? Where did you come from? I'm not talking about your physical body. You're only your father and your mother. They are part of them. So I can even sum all of you. Your body, we know your spirit came from God. But when you say your body, physical body, and then your soul, because your soul is what this is really speaking concerning. I want to check your soul, really. Who is that soul, really, really, really? we now begin to trace all the influences that soul has had. We have to touch, of course, your siblings, start from there, your parents, then, then go back to your university days, and then all your closest friends there, then move back to when you were young. Are you getting what I'm saying? Is, are you seeing those people? Those are, those are your product. And there's a law, in a soul law, that is hard for a man to nurture by natural strength to be detached from the influence and the pool of such a thing. And, and you say, okay, why do I need to be detached from that? I mean, is it, didn't God create all those things and shouldn't men? Yeah, it's fine, but there's something about that thing that can hinder spiritual attachment. It's so powerful. It's so deep. Praise the Lord. So, so Jesus was using this example of a feast to just describe something. Well, what he's really trying to highlight is that link, that thing that ties, that, that unrefusable, that, is that when a call comes from that realm, you don't have the strength, you don't have what it takes to neglect and even, if, if you had the ability to decipher your, all your dealings with, from that place and say, okay, this one, I'm not going to answer this, this one, I'm not going to answer that, it's not that easy to do. Most of the time, you already responded before you even realized that, wait, what, what is actually going on? There's something strong about that thing. So there's a process whereby, when God wants to have a man, he wants to receive a man. You saw that also in the, in the time of Jesus, that through journeying, after a while, that thing was broken. For Jesus, as, as well, you see for Melchizedek, having no beginning of days, no end of life, no father, no mother, no, uh, no descent. What is that descent? Descent means where you came from. That what, tra- how you are traceable to your natural environment from which the nurturing of, of your soul means where everything that nurtured you before Jesus came. There are links to those things. Praise God. That must be broken. Now, it doesn't mean you will not relate with them. Is that that thing must be broken 
then Christ must then now redefine a new relationship. You can't use the same relationship you had and then bring it into Christ and say, Christ, well, this relationship is a natural relationship, so how can we, can I, can I be yours and do your things with these things? And Christ will say, no. At this, you don't even know what this thing is. Do you agree with me? Amen. Amen. But it says, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the, 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 the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Are you seeing that? God is telling you that that really, when it comes to you giving gifts and all of those things, that it's better to do it towards the poor than towards these people. It's a wisdom. Of course, God is not, he's not saying don't ignore your family and all of that. That's not what he's saying. It's very clear, right? He's trying to teach something deeper. Okay, let's go on. Let's read on of time. It says, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto them, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. That means he asked many to come. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And when they all with one consent began to, ex- to make excuse, you see that? All the people he invited began to excuse themselves. The first said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And the other said, I I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So, (laughs) that that servant came and showed the Lord (laughs) these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servants, Go out quickly unto the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servants said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said, Okay, unto the servants, go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, and that my house may what? May be fit, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidding shall taste of my own supper. Amen. So, so the Lord has, has spoken first and said, you, when you are doing your feast, don't invite all these people. Praise God. Now then, he now spoke of another, is this another analogy? But these analogies are all related. He's talking about the same thing. Praise God then God is now showing why in his own relationship, when it comes to his own table, why in his own feast, why he doesn't ride on those relationships. Are you understanding what I'm trying to tell you? Why he doesn't what? 
It doesn't depend on it. It doesn't depend on, on, on those things. You see, a lot of times, you grow up, you, I've seen many cases like this. Someone, parents, is, father is a pastor, mother is a reverend. They grew up in the house the whole time, and they were bad. They didn't like, they didn't even like God. But when God is time to reach that soul, God has to go and bring one stranger from the highway. Or from, and when that stranger begins to now bring God and package God, ah, is this really God? Oh my God. And they fall in love. Do you get what I'm saying? For, I'm not saying it's not possible for parents to reach their kids, but for a parent to reach their kids, if they try to do it towards their relationship as a parent, it will not work. It won't work. For a parent to reach their kid, they have to put on a spiritual heart. Flow. You have to flow from a spiritual realm, a spiritual place, a spiritual position. What, what I mean is that if you are a father, you think your child will love Jesus because you as their father told them to. You're making a big mistake. It's not going to happen. That's not going to be the relationship. And you see, some parents try to do that. You know what? So at home, they leave the, they leave the presence. They ignore the presence. The faith atmosphere. The spiritual, you know, the resources of the spirit through which the things of God are pushed. You put them aside and sometimes you think you can beat Christ into the child. <laughs> hey, come here, go read your Bible. Don't you know, this is a, this is a lineage of ministers. that this church you are going to take over? <laughs> Praise God. The more you say that, the more what? You know, because you are trying to use a channel that Christ doesn't flow through. God does not flow through that channel. For you to raise your child spiritually, you must be another person. You must be a spiritual channel to the child. The, the, the child being your child, because you have influence of being their parent, doesn't mean that because of that, you have the right to force Jesus on them. The same way you have to depend on Holy Ghost, the Spirit, mercy, grace, to preach on the altar and relate to people. That's how you must do the same thing in your home. You must use the presence, use the power, use the grace and the, the presence of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost. I, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a difference between channels through which God flows. God does not flow. God is a spirit. He's a father of spirit. He doesn't flow through natural channels. He flows through spiritual channels. Praise God. So, so you see this feast. The, the Lord is now showing you through this feast why he operates the way he does. Because if he calls his own friends and people that he knows, his own family, they will give him an excuse. The first one said that, I just bought a land. Right? The other one said what? He just bought a yoke of 
oxen. Then the last one said was, he just married. You see those, two, see those three things? Those three things categorizes all the kind of excuses that men give. The excuses that men give for not coming to the table of the Lord. And you see the legitimacy of all those excuses. In a community that the most legitimate one, I just married. By the time someone says that, that's it. There's nothing, there's nothing you can say. What do you want to say? Because when they say that, you can't say because they can open scripture for you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So he says the, the answer to this is, okay, we are not inviting these guys anymore. They have excuses. So we have to go, go to the streets. So the street means the poor who are nearer to you. So the poor who are nearer to you, who, doesn't, who don't have that relationship, they are more welcome. Then even when you finish all the poor nearer to you, strangers, you know, the highway means guys who are traveling from one far city to another far city that have nothing to do with your own local neighborhood. That means that these are the farthest people from your table. Go and block them on the highway. They are more worthy at that feast. Are you seeing that? This is the, these things are, these are secrets about God. About the spiritual life that many of us, we need to know. Because there comes a time where you have to face that, those natural channels. Those places that formed your person. Now, that's one of the most difficult things to do. To face your natural person. It means that, it means that all the roads that have brought you to who you are at this moment. To begin to face it. And say no more. No more. That's what the wilderness was for. The purpose of the wilderness was to break the organization of Israel. You see how they grouped themselves family by family? You know the way they arranged? They came out from the Passover, household by household and all of that. All of them not joining away, not looking beyond their own household. But, but being able to turn their heart, like I was saying last time, those of them who, when it comes to eating every night, they, only look, they don't look too far. They only look who? Father. Right? The father goes, brings the bread. Constantly, every day. They are now, you now got them to a place where even, you, you, you wouldn't even look at your father because you know that this, when you look at the land around you, there's no point looking at your father to bring food because you know that. There's nothing coming from him. That's what that, that journey is for. To, to then break those channels through which men, the, those little cocoons, fake habitations of peace. Or let me not call it fake, let me call it natural habitations, but which the world has been using in the place of God to give peace to the soul. But instead, begin to look to a different place. Say, look up. Look up. 
Look up to the stream from where the shepherding grace, the spiritual stream from where the provisions of God are supposed to come to the soul. Amen. Amen. To, to, to train a soul to shut their natural ch- channels, open their spiritual channels. Amen. Now, when I'm saying short channels, listen, okay. There's a way this thing can be. In the interest of not wanting any kind of trouble of any sort, from any angle. This is a time of full disclosure. I have to be very, very clear with what I'm saying. Okay? I'm not now saying now, go and call anybody that from today, I'm shutting the natural channel. They say, we don't, I don't understand you. What, do you say? what does that mean? Some of us have done bad things. Some of us that have spoken to me about some things. You know, you just call your father and tell them something. I say, God, what, why did you say that? <laughs> Amen. I, w- I won't name names, but I've spoken to some people. And, uh, you know, and the way they come to tell me is, is are they happy? Oh, oh, they've just done something. <laughs> Amen. So it's not that, eh? The channel, praise God, the, the channel is not your father's number or your mother's phone number <laughs> or, or someone's phone number to delete. That's not, okay, we are closing all these channels too. Praise God. That's not what I'm talking about. The channel is inside you. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that person. It's inside you. In fact, you can even cut off ties with whoever those people are. That, <laughs> that, the, that the work that that thing has built on the inside. Like, like let's, say, let's take father, for example. Say father. father. You might trivialize what it means to look to now, now have a heavenly father. And, 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 you, and now let that heavenly father take that deep place in your heart. So it's easier to, it's easier to even do that, the outward one, which is not recommended at all. Are you getting me? But that one inside, you've not touched that one. Are you getting what I'm saying? In terms of your sufficiency, your source. What, what you depend on. So do you, know, do you know what you depend on the most about your father? It's not the money that he gives you. It's not the funds that he gave you. That's not what, when you say, oh, my father really helps me, he really supports me. Thank God for my father. He sends me money. And he pays my bills and he 
gives me counsel and advice. That's not the greatest support for, for your father. The greatest support your father gave you, that one, if you, you can't just get up and go and return it back to him. It's inside you. It's your way of thinking. It's, an install, it's a program. For years, growing up, he installed it inside you. <laughs> you get it? And, it, and it's a normal thing, it's a natural thing for the, a father to in, impact and install a way of thinking. And, and, and our prayer to God is that as we become fathers and mothers, that instead of installing our own things, we will be able to fetch. Because as a parent, you are supposed to train up a child you want them to be. That for every child, there is a way he should go. That way that he should go. Don't assume that because <laughs> I'm the father. So, I know. I know. You don't know the way a child should go. That child is a spirit. So, the way the child needs to learn the way they should go, you have to learn it first. You have to receive it from their own source. And that's how you train them. You train them using a, a spiritual program. The problem is that most of us have been trained with the natural program by our own parents. And you see that thing, that is your inheritance from your parents to you. Are you seeing that way of thought? When you say, ah, well, this is just my own personality. I just don't, I don't just, you know, um, you know, talking about how we see a brethren life, you know, there's a way the brethren ought to live, ought to, you know, you know, have a kind of life where we just flow with each other. You know what I'm talking about? You, you know, <laughs> You give uh, your things and you relinquish your right to things that are rightfully yours by virtue of your, you being financially invested in the acquisition in one way or the other and you relinquish that. Praise God. Then you say, I know that thing is true. I don't even agree with the scripture, but it's just, it's just something about, you know, in our home, you know. There is a, in our home, everybody has their own room. And everybody's room is always locked. In fact, you want to talk to me in my house, you have to go knock the door. You say, look, I know, you know what I'm saying? So maybe you are living with people now and they're trying to bring that brethren life into you. You know that old idea of all of that. I say, no, no, even in my house, even my father has to knock. This is not just this. This is real life. There are people who grew up this way. That my, my, my mom, my dad can't just come into my room. They have to knock and they have to gain permission. That my, my parents can't just take my things. I mean, once it's mine, this one is mine. So the way they raised us is that this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. All of us, we have ours. So we own things. Daddy has his own. Mommy has her own. That's the way we were. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that's just an example, but there are many things like that. Now when you begin to bring in Christ's way, attitude, you now begin to hit inheritances in people. In all kinds, all manners of inheritances. Ways of their person. Persons. Their person, the way their person is framed, they are full of inheritances. And it's not all your inheritance that your father put there. There are some your father put there, some your mother, some your very, very first friend. 
the first friend you ever had in maybe primary school or something. There's something they put in you that is still there till today. These are programming, eh? So, you, so if you read, read this thing, you see, praise God. This is what Jesus is dealing with here. If you go down here and you read later, Jesus now began to, to say it clearly. Well, it is not, not clearly, okay. He says it with, <laughs> with his own kind of language. Amen. In verse 25, he says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my, what? my disciples. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me and can, after me cannot be my disciples. So what Jesus Christ is saying here, so these things, so hate father. You now know what hate father means. It means hate, not your father. Hate every natural installation of your father in you that does not align with the way with the life of Christ. If after you hated, they said hate father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sister, and then after you've done, you know, say you've done all those, then you now still find there are still other things there. The, the one you now calls your own life means the summation of all the other things, everything that makes up your person. Are you get what I'm saying? That it's not imputed. Or it's not in alignment with the life, the order, of, or the way, praise the Lord, or the installation, or the program, or the life of Christ. It has no legitimate ground to stay in you as a New Testament child of God. So that excuse of this is my own way, my character, my nature, they don't fly here. Praise God. Now, the purpose of this installation of the enemy is because of one reason. The reason why the devil develops people, raises people, and he does that, like I said, through different channels. Amen. We're not saying your father, your mother, and your brother are evil or something. We're not saying that. You know what I mean? What I just mean is that in the natural world, the natural man is powerless against spiritual forces who use their goodwill and their good endeavor for their own design and for their own purpose. It's not possible to install something inside a soul that did not have a, does not have a spiritual source. Soul is a spiritual entity. Anything you install in a soul has a spiritual root. You might think, ah, this way of behaving is just my father's mind. No, it's not just your father's mind. It's not just his mind. He himself got it from somewhere. It was a design. If God did not design it, someone designed it. 
Are you getting me? Now, these things are, amen, these things are too key. By the time you, you begin to take your work seriously, you are, when I mean seriously, I mean you are beginning to mind the promise. You are beginning to look at the promise of life concerning issues and things of life. You are interested in becoming, in being raised, in being developed, in being transformed. By the time you've put away all the obvious sins and bad things that you shouldn't do, all the obvious works of the flesh and all that, these are the things you begin to hit. A lot of times, these are the kind of things that you hit in marriage. Why did I say marriage? Why? You see, even, you see wife here was even the highest of this thing, right? Because there's something about that place. There's, there's something about mar- marriage is a place where it's an institution that if you say you want to really do it well, oh, you know, there's a way you can do marriage that is not really marriage. You are not really, really doing the thing God calls marriage. You are just found a way. You know, it's like there can be a compromise. This is one thing I see. And it's not that one person is just being bad, one person is being good. No. I mean, an actual compromise where both parties, they both realize, hey, we have a, there are things here. <laughs> are you getting what, are you getting what I'm saying? Like they gave you a, a, a square peg. Go and put it in a round hole. You, now, you didn't know that hole was round. But the guy who gave you the peg, he just said, hey, hey just go, can you take this peg? Just there's a hole there. Go and put it. And then you're very happy. Very quick job. Let me just quickly go and put this peg. And behold, when you get there, what happens? The thing is round. What you have is square. You have a decision to make. Do you have to now, when you think of all the time, the effort, the pain, the calculation that it takes. Ah! Is there a way that we can just... They won't be apart, no. We can, can we just find... Maybe we'll just glue it. Super glue or something. <laughs> you just put them very close. You can do the job. That's the kind of compromise even a lot of Christian, word of righteousness couples are making. When it comes to marriage, the Lord began to tell me recently, it, it tells me, your niceness, nice guy, all of this, say, those things don't really matter. What matters now to you is my standard. And you now realize that even as a Christian, it's possible to live for many years. It's a compromise. Where you, this one realizes it's a square peg, round hole, this one realizes square peg. Ah! Are we... Do we, can we do the work it takes, the labor, to mean some things you have to shape, you have to cut off, reshape some things here, reshape, ah! It's a mutual understanding that, man, this thing is not that easy. Okay, can we just understand that, you see, I will accept you the way, don't worry, I have love to accommodate. I will no problem, but it's conditional that you also also that so as long as so you will see in such a home there's peace, nice things are going on there, doing the work of the Lord, doing things are going fine. Praise God, <laughs> because there's an agreement below the standard. It's an evil work. Say evil. It's evil. It's evil to you know the standard of God. You get close to it. And then you, you quickly connive. 
to avoid the standard. God. And it happens. That's, marriage is a, is a good example, but in relationships that we have with people, yeah. we, have, we get to such compromise, such evil compromise. So you see two parties who are supposed to be, who are supposed to ferociously hold the standard of God and becoming heirs together of the grace of life, according to God's standard, they get to a level where they have an evil bargain and settle at a place. It means that they will, they will be doing marriage, and it seems as if it's working, but the death they need to undergo to become one, as God has said, for it to occur, they stop short of it. Praise the Lord. So that kind of bargain, thank God it's nice and all. And you might say, why now? It's because well, it's just so that peace can reign, you know, so that we can, we don't. God said, no, it's not good enough because I cannot receive your person. Do you know why? Because when time comes, God's standard is the way it is for a reason. It's because you don't know what kind of things the devil has. The fact that that marriage or that relationship or whatever it is, is, is withstanding the evil of today doesn't mean that when the maturity of evil comes that you have what it takes to stand. You are judging based on how things seem now, not by the standard that the omniscient God has put. Who sees the end from the beginning? Who knows all the secret works of Satan? The things in Satan's laboratory he hasn't even thought of yet. God knows them. And that's why and God writes his standard based on those things. Praise the Lord. Are you, get, are you making are we making sense today? So you can see a person, maybe Adam, maybe I'm using wife and husband. I don't know. I'm just playing it. Saying it the way it's coming here, okay? What's coming to me? I don't want to stop it here. I want to just say how it's flowing. So you, you see a, a husband and a wife, right? Who have. They know, okay, this is how God really, 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 really. Well, if things were really perfect according to God's design, this is how things should really, really, really be. But. But I'm this way right now. But my husband doesn't really mind. And, are you getting, and even him, the way it is, yeah, I don't really, really mind that much, even though he is not really living it at this level. But I don't really, really care that mind that much. I, do you see what's going on here? Is that you are, you are designing your marriage according to your own collective standard, not according to God's standard. And what will happen is that in that marriage, you will have peace, but not the peace of God. So when you bring, what will happen is that when you bring those persons to God, God will reject them. And the reason why God will reject them, not because of hatred, because God is too salvation-minded. 
is to salvation. He knows that that arrangement, just given the right circumstances, can make war against him. Praise God. So, Romans chapter 5, right? In that context of marriage that we are speaking of, being justified by faith, we have peace with our spouse. Is that the standard? That's the standard a lot of couples are, are, are going for. It seems like a righteous standard because many couples don't even care about peace. But the ones who are able to attain that peace, even though it's beyond the standard, say, we are okay. But it's not peace. It's peace with God that matters. Say, peace with God. Now, the importance of, of having peace with God is because God is no respecter of persons. According to Let's see Romans quickly. Romans chapter 2. Because of time. Romans chapter 2. Amen. Romans chapter 2. I'll read. Okay, verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds, right? To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will render eternal life. Say patient continuance in well in well-doing. That's what the Israelites lacked in the, in, the, in, in the wilderness. They lacked the patient continuance in well-doing. They began to murmur. They began to strive against God. Amen. Amen. Now, lack of peace makes the soul strive against God. A soul that is not, has not maintained peace with God. Now, if you came to the Israelites when they were in Goshen and said, you guys, you are not at peace with God. You are not at peace, they will, they will laugh at you. What do you in fact when Moses even came? Initially, take us where, what? Why? <laughs> they didn't see any you know what I'm saying. Amen. Because Moses said that God sent to tell them, let my people go, that they may come and worship me that they may come and serve me. Left to them, they were very good servants of God because they had evidences that God was with them in the land of Goshen. So, if you, so they must have felt some, a, an idea of peace, which was not. It would take the right environment to reveal the hidden strife that a soul has against God. It means that a soul can war with God, given the right circumstances. And let me tell you something. Satan, the devil, is banking on that. What's he banking on? That there are men on the earth who have inward capacity to fight God. When he looks at the masses of millions, though they are worshipping God every Sunday, lifting up holy hands, he's not seeing that. He's checking. He knows. He knows how many. Because, see, when you think of Satan's army, eh? you're thinking of angels, right? You're thinking of those angels right now. If you ask Satan, Satan, uh, Satan, where are your army? Where are your people? Where are your warriors? You think, ah, he will say, hell, all of hell is there at my call. At the sound of my whistle, we will go and fight. 
We are going to win Elohim. The devil knows that angels cannot win. Those ones in hell. They've already fought their own war now. Didn't they fight already? Why are they in hell? <laughs> so, the, so the war that the devil wants to fight is not, I mean the present war that they are, that they are gearing up for. It's not a war of angels and the devil fighting. That war has already happened. We already know who won that war. That's why they, they, they departed from heaven. They cast them out. But there's another war coming. He's raising an, another army. An army who he, he really, really believes these ones can fight God. They are not angels. They are not demons. They are not principalities. They are not powers. They are men. They are men with a latent capacity to fight, to rebel. Men whose souls are not at peace with God. When you, you will see that, those kind of wars later in the book of Revelation, when he went to go and preach to a certain nation, Gog and Magog, and all, all of those wars, praise God. In chapter 19, you saw another, a war there where the kings of the earth came and they, they arrayed their armies together. Those are not evil spirits. Those are men. When you read towards the end of Revelation, when the, 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 the vials began to come out, and the Lord began to send all kinds of persecutions and all kinds of things, just upon men, saying, will these men give up? Will they, will they repent? Will they stop fighting me? They will see, you see, there are some who, after all the plagues and everything, they will still be cursing God. They will still be cursing. How did they get to that level? It starts with harboring... When in season, when there's the revelation to reveal your own strife comes, they turn away from it. They don't think it's important. Don't worry, it's not affecting me now. I still go to church. I'm still a Christian. I do, can do everything all the other brethren do. So why are you bringing all this extra revelation about all this hidden, 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 hidden iniquity that we can't see? All these too much scriptures. Are you seeing that attitude? They would like that attitude. Because you are helping him cover what is hiding until the day when he turns it up against God. I pray that won't be for us. So that won't be for you. That you will make peace with God. I say you will make peace with God. In the name of Jesus. So you see why God does not respect person because he knows what is in men like Jesus did. He never committed himself to any man. He knows what is in men. He knows that there are things hidden that even the men don't know about. Praise God. So it says that those who have, have patient continuance in well-doing and seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will render to them eternal life. Say, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and what? Wrath. Those who are contentious means those who have a nature of strife in them, who, are not, who have not attained peace with God. Now, it now says here, whether they be Jew, let's go on, says, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace to every man that walketh good, to the Jew first and then also to the what? Gentile. For there is no respect of what? Of persons with God. Say no respect. No respect. Of persons. There is no respect. Can you say it again? There is no respect. 
of persons with God. It means God does not respect you. Praise God. Amen. It means God does not do what? God does not respect you. Praise God with all due respect from me. <laughs> I respect you. I respect you to the, to the best that I can. But God does not respect you. He doesn't respect you. Um, God only respects himself. You know why? Because when everything else he sees that's not him, he doesn't see anything worthy of respecting it. It's men that are going about looking for respect. But if you know that you don't deserve respect, you are, you are free. The reason why, the reason why we have problems is too much worth respect. You don't respect me. You don't respect me. But you've not said I wanted to think this guy that I did. Looking for respect. Is he worthy of being respected? Or is there anything respectful? Yeah. Man is not worthy of respect. Man has to go. Anytime you see yourself, hey, just be crying. These things. This is somebody who should go very, very quickly. Your problem should be how quickly can this person disappear? He's not trying to bring all respect and maintain, you know, and elevate the status of flesh. Satan is the one who does that. Anytime you are feeling important, you're feeling, ah, feeling, it's not God. God doesn't make you feel like that. God doesn't make, he's the devil. And devil can push men, ah, you know, you're so, ah, I can just be like you, just a little like you. When someone tells you that, hey. Hmm. Uh, you just guide your heart, put like a block here. By the time they switch to that mode and they are saying those things, just put a block here. You can be smiling, but know that. Don't receive it. Because in the flesh, do I let no good thing? In the flesh. But what does heaven respect? A soul. What does heaven respect? Say they walk. Of righteousness. The work. The work of righteousness. Now when that work of righteousness has come, according to Isaiah chapter 32, God has plans for such, for such a, an image, for such a person. He said the effect shall be what? The work is peace. What's the effect? Peace and quietness and assurance. It means that God has a rest for that particular person. God has an eternal place. That is a thing of respect. God respects not your person, but his work. That work of peace is respectable and commendable in the spirit. That's why it's that nature of peace that the second veil parts to. Parts for, sorry. That place of the second veil is the veil of peace. Anything, any stature that has made peace, once you get to that place, the veil is open. God loves souls that have made peace with him. How do you make peace with God? 
you must let go of your person. No man who, who, who holds on to his person can be at peace with God. No matter how harmless, simple, nice your, that person is, if it's not Christ, it has the capacity to fight. So thank God for his fatherly nature. Thank God for that fatherhood, the spirit of fatherhood. Christ as a father to us. Who prepares the wilderness. Prepares the atmosphere of the wilderness. For every, so you have your own wilderness. He customizes it for you. To bring things around your life. Under the atmosphere of the spirit. And under the presence of the Lord. To begin to give you opportunities. To let go of yourself. To let go of your person. To let go of your nature. To let go of all your natural inheritance. To receive the inheritances of God. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 was speaking about. When he was speaking that you should not don't neglect the conversation that speaketh to you as sons. That whom the Lord loves, he chastiseth. And scourges every son whom he receiveth. I said no chastisement is palatable or nice in the present. But afterward, it yielded what? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. Means the fruit of righteousness that can make peace with God. Is a product of the chastisement. Cut off the things about you that are not in alignment with the nature. The peaceful nature of Christ. Let's just begin to bless the Lord and just thank him. For his word today. And let's just begin to pray. Let's just begin to pray and connect. Let's connect grace. Grace for every aspect of our person, of our nature, that need to encounter the transformation, the transforming power of the Lord. All those areas where we need an infusion of grace and strength of and the will of God for change, to let go of our person, to let go of anything in us that has the potential, has the capacity to fight God, to resist peace with God. Let's begin to connect grace right now. Connect grace. Connect grace. Grace that can tune you to the the speakings of heaven, particular enlightenment concerning aspects of your person, aspects of your nature that needs to go, that needs to be changed. Grace for a, a new conversation, a conversation of this transformation. Constant reminder. Let's ask for grace. Grace to move you into every season of wilderness. The wilderness environment, the time to hear the word of the Lord. To hate father, hate mother, hate brother, hate sister, hate wife, hate children, even your own life. To hate anything that does not align with God's own will, with God's work, with God's purpose, with God's own righteousness. Anything that would not make for peace with God. Alignment with the standard of God. Oh, Father, we connect grace. We connect grace. We connect grace. We receive grace. Oh, we receive grace. 
We receive grace, Lord. Oh, Makaraba Satabarodiasta. Eh, Karido Saint Pranta Mureka Ira Labazu Telebranoske. Em Pranza Lugarieta Parura Labazundeli Eroske Briara Bazaya. En Fante Lika Muta Kaika Libaluske Lebosa. Em Bronda Labazu Yereboske. Em We receive grace, Lord. We receive grace. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. I want us to pray. Let us pray for... You see, there are some, there are some things that we do not respond to. You see that voice of chastisement, right? That conversation that speaketh to us as sons. Which Hebrews to us. It is a kind of conversation. And sometimes in our hearts, we do not... We do not welcome that conversation. We don't entertain it. We have a place where we, there are some vicinity of things that we allow the Lord to speak to. But when they begin to near your person, that you having to change some of those core things about you, those kind of instructions or conversations might, might not sound as loud because you don't really entertain them. You, you somewhere secretly wish that and hope that that wasn't part of the program. And the bargain, and that's not a necessity for you to change. But let us begin to pray that there will be so much grace to open to it. Open up our heart, our person to hear and receive the conversation. Even though it's not palatable. Even though it is grievous in the present. Even though it will take sacrifice. But grace to be open. Grace to be open to such conversations in any aspect, in relationships, in your marriage, in your life, in any aspect of life, any aspect of your person that needs to change, that the Lord will grant grace to be open. Mary Kalabasuya, Mary Kalabasuya, Empra Labasuri Herbosa, Ori Kamala Kaya Labazute Libaraloske, Oh, we give you glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for you to do? Everything, Lord, that seems like a mountain in our journey of transformation, Lord. He said unto Zerubbabel, what is that mountain before Zerubbabel? It shall become a plain. You will bring forth the headstone, shoutings of grace, grace, grace to it. Lord, for this aspect of our building that has to do with peace, in Christ. I ask, Father, let there be a release of the grace to every heart, every person, every soul that needs this grace to amplify this conversation for this level of transformation, for this level of change. Thank you, Father, for every heart, Lord, receives. Let there be an impartation, Lord. The ability, the willingness to follow this course, this path, to open the, within the heart to this realm of change. Impart to every soul. 
Thank you, our Father. Holy Ghost, take these words. They are yours. Use them. Carry them into our heart. Interpret them in the native language of every heart to bring forth all the enlightenment which you will have to go for. Thank you, our Father. We give you all the glory. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. dwells between the cherubim, shine for. You dwells between the cherubim, shine for. You dwells between the cherubim, shine for.